Welcome to episode two of the High Altitude Adventures podcast, where we speak about space tourism, space-like and space-related experiences, and any adventures in the air. Today, my guest is Robbie Phelan, and he's curious about skydiving, and that's what we will talk about today. Thanks, Mikhail. Delighted to be here. Very excited. So, talk to me. never skydived in my life a lot of my friends have done it um it scares me a little bit to be honest but i'm very excited to learn about it it's something that's on my uh, bucket list i've really wanted to do it but i don't really know much about it um where can you do it in ireland well first of all the fact that it scares you is normal because it is slightly abnormal activity and your brain doesn't want to do that so being scared is okay if you want to do it, it's also okay, because people like to do abnormal things and try themselves in something new. But uh, you can do it in many places in the world, and you can do it at least in two places in Ireland. There are two drop zone parachute clubs in Ireland where you can do that. Okay, great. Where are they? Well, one is in County Offaly, right in the middle right of the island. The and then another one is uh, on the northern side. County Derry. Okay. So the awfully one would be closer to me, but not as glamorous maybe as doing it in the Bahamas or something, would it be? Or can you do it there? There are places in exotic uh, countries. Uh, actually, Bahamas, I'm not sure, but there are uh, places in Maldives, in Florida, and mm. Seychelles. And uh, actually, I'm on my way to Botswana next week, and we'll jump there. So okay. many exotic places, many places near the ocean, near the seas. And actually, the drop zone in the north, it's closer to the ocean, to the sea, than the county of the place. So if you want to have the views, you can go there. Okay, right, yeah. And would you say that the views are something that's are spectacular when you're skydiving? For me, it would be more the adrenaline, but I suppose the views maybe would be also something to consider. Well, adrenaline is um, it's one of the major misconceptions and stereotypes about skydive, okay. which is only partially true. Yes, your adrenaline is there a bit, but um, I would call it more as exciting uh, activity. And the view, uh, to be honest with you, on your first jump, on your second jump, you may not remember much. <laughs> uh, if you do, definitely the views will be spectacular. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, awfully, County Offaly would say, it's also nice from above. Okay. You know, a lot of green, a lot of uh, trees, a lot of forests, some bogs there, and uh, it's really interesting to, to have a look down. Now, with that adrenaline piece, only it's only for excitement for you now because you're experiencing... How many jumps have you done? Out of curiosity, uh, in your life, do you know how many? 1,100 jumps. 1,100? Uh, yeah, and just to be absolutely clear, adrenaline, excitement, and sometimes you cannot uh, say which one is which because they're kind of related. It is always there. On the first jump, on the tenth jump, on the hundredth jump, on the thousands jumps, and some people in the sport made 30,000, 40,000 jumps. I'm sure there was some adrenaline there. Okay. And, uh, but at the first jumps, let's say, yes, it's definitely adrenaline. You'll have a boost of adrenaline, something new. You've yeah, never yeah. done this before. You'll probably get more adrenaline before the jump. 
And you're in the gym because you'll keep thinking about it and will a lot of adrenaline yeah. <laughs> just thinking about the skydive. Sure. And then on the jump itself, yes, it will be abnormal. Uh, and you will probably see a lot actually from above. I'm not sure will you remember that or not because yeah, the yeah. excitement can wash it okay. away. But uh, the first jumps, why people do it for the first time? Definitely for some adrenaline, for excitement. And then many people never do that again. And some people stay and uh, choose it as a hobby or as a profession or as a sport. That's interesting. And like, so what would I need to do then? This, I need this in my life. <laughs> What do I need to do to go about? How do I go about getting getting on the road? What are the steps? Uh, well, first of all, you need to decide that you really want to do that. I, I never push people to do that in, in, in a good way. Like okay. I don't uh, want that. I don't want people to do that. Only if a person really, really interested and wants to do that, then yes. And then the rest is simple. You just pick up the phone or write an email and uh, okay. book your jump and go. And... Uh, as I said, on this island, there are two places where you can do that. One is called the Irish Parachute Club. Another is called Skydive Ireland. And uh, you go on the websites and uh, you check the phone numbers, the emails, and uh, book the, the day. Okay. And then in some cases you prepay full amount, in some cases you prepay a partial amount, and then you just show up and jump. Well, what are the costs of that? And are, are they geographically s similar or mostly be... all over the world the prices are more or less in the same kind of uh, frame okay. on, on this island the prices are 320 euro for okay. the jump itself yeah, on, on in the county of the uh, drop zone right. then if you want to have a video or photo of your jump and I strongly recommend for people to check that option because if it's once in a lifetime bucket list opportunity you probably want some footage or pictures then you pay extra because that means that either there should be a separate skydiver uh j jumping with you taking mm -hmm. the video and actually this is one of my jobs i'm a uh, skydiving camera fly which means i will fly next to this uh skydiving pair and i'll take videos and photos okay. and the order of magnitude 100 euros ish uh for mm -hmm. photos or cameras and 100 and uh, 20, I believe, for both. And the prices um, in uh, the northern drop zone, about the same, 300 pounds, 320 pounds for the basic skydive and some uh, additional cost for the video. That's very interesting. I just, I never really, you know, thought about how much it would be, but I definitely imagined it would be more expensive than that. So that's actually, ple I'm pleasantly surprised with that price. Well, for the one-time jump, that's it. If you want to become a, sporty professional yeah. or regular skydiver then it's more expensive at first because you need to learn and that's a somewhat yeah. lengthy process but yes for the one time uh, that's the price and uh, it's slightly cheaper in us uh, okay. in europe these are the prices mostly everywhere and yes that's how much it costs interesting and so you said there you mentioned which i thought was interesting you book in by email you show up and you jump but surely there must be some form of training that you have to go through before you jump out, is there? Or am I just tied to somebody and I don't have to worry too much about it? Well, as long as they know what they're doing. Yes, What's you're it? tied, you're fixed, you're attached to a tandem instructor. Okay. A professional, real professional who probably has several thousand jumps already. Okay. Uh, was properly trained. Uh, they even have to go through a medical uh, check similar to commercial pilots because they're in practice 
in actuality, are a pilot of an aircraft, well, a parachute, carrying a commercial passenger, you, or ah. potentially you. So uh, you're attached with a four really strong hooks to the skydiving instructor. <laughs> really <Okay>. strong. I was strong. One of them can hold your weight. Okay, right. So you have four. <laughs> and uh, uh, you show up and... The, the training, it's not like a training, it's familiarization, just basic instructions, because you're not doing much on that jump. You're just there to enjoy the view, sure. to enjoy yeah. the, to get your adrenaline boost for which you came there for. My excitement boost. Excitement <laughs> boost. No, and um, uh, there are two or three um, important things which you need to remember during the jump, and they will tell you about them uh, at this 20 minute, 25 minutes uh, familiarization. Uh, and then you'll also watch the video while you're waiting. And that's, that's basically it. So in essence, they will tell you what to do with your arms during the jump and with your legs and what to do with your legs at landing. Because during the landing, you, you land like an aircraft and you just need to raise your legs. That's in general it. Okay, so it's relatively straightforward if you're going with your commercial pilot instructor, right? Yes, you attach the commercial uh, pilot, yes. And what if I said, did want to go and do it myself? What do I need to do then? Like if I didn't want anybody and I want to pull the cord and go into the next level, so I have to go through a bit of training, do I? Okay, yeah. First of all, there is no cord anymore. We parachutes uh, okay. work Sorry. slightly <laughs> different, but, <Okay. laughs> but it was it was not but. so so far in the in the past when we used the cords. Okay. But uh, yes, in that case, you need to go through a lengthier process and. Uh, it involves a ground training, ground school training, because you need to learn some theory, and uh, um, it takes about it, it takes a day, okay. just on the ground. Mm, you don't go up; you just study the theory. And most of that uh, training day is how to deal with unlikely uh, possible malfunctions, which may happen or may not happen. But you just need to train how to deal with them, and then you do some practice jumps with instructors. And there are two different programs, uh, how people learn to skydive. One of them is when two instructors are with you during the whole jump, and they brief you before the jump, they uh, take a video of your jump, and then they debrief you, and you do simple exercises on those jumps until you're free to be released into the air, but the instructors are flying next to you, okay. and again, watching you, and then debriefing you after the jump. So you have to follow through seven initial levels, several seven exams kind of in the air, and then you do some other jumps, and then another training jump, and an another set of jumps when you're trained to jump with other people. And then if you pass all these tests, you get your first license. Now you're, you can jump alone by yourself and then train uh, further. So the cost of that program, again, uh, in Europe, in US, it's about the same price. Overall, you probably should allocate about 2,000, 2,500 euro for the whole program. Uh, because uh, it's extensive, uh, you use all the equipment and you use the time of instructors during the first jump. So this is kind of uh, the initial cost which you have to cover yeah. to get through. And then once you get your license, uh, the cost of each jump is much less. Basically, you pay for a ticket to go up in, into the skies and that's about 30 euro. 25 euro, depends upon the drop zone. If you don't have a parachute of your own, you rent a parachute. And this may be 16, 17, 18 euro per jump. So that's about 50 euro per jump. And then you progress. You learn more, you go through some additional training if you want to be really good. And then you pick your 
poison. You pick your discipline. You pick something in skydiving which you want to do. It can be professional, it can be camera, it can be sporty, it can be records. There are so many disciplines now. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting, I must say now. And what... Um what happens then in the event, or actually, what actually a question really excites me that I'd like to know is how can you go from different heights? So can you like go, if you train, go up to some mad, ridiculous level? So we talk about the props. I see the props here. I'm very interested to learn about them in a minute. But, um, you know, where you have to wear like a little oxygen helmet or anything like that, or is it all pretty standard from a certain height? That's a very good question. And uh, this relates directly to my whole project of space and space-like and space-related activities because you can do a simple vanilla skydive. We discussed that uh, with Paige in the previous episode, which is just normal normal altitudes, three kilometers, two, four kilometers, 10,000 feet, 13,000 feet. You can then go higher, and you have to have some experience before going higher because anything higher than that, anything higher than 15,000 feet you need to breathe oxygen on the way up because uh, above 15,000 feet you can have uh, first signs of hypoxia when you especially get too excited and you don't want to lose attention uh, during the skydive. Anything above 25,000 feet, uh, as I remember right, you need to have a full oxygen mask on the way up and on the way down. And yes, uh, you can jump from... 5,000 feet, 6,000 feet, 7,000 feet, 10,000 feet. These are kind of normal, simple skydives. Uh, the highest you can go as a commercial paying um, customer in a tandem jump attached to an instructor. Uh, in US, there is a company, uh, there is a drop zone where you can go to 30,000 feet and jump from that altitude wearing the full oxygen mask and even more important, or equally important, full thermal protection because right. it's about minus 60 minus 65 wow. Celsius at that altitude. Uh, in the normal uh, sporty skydives, like uh, record, sport, the, the highest I went was 18,000 feet. And that's when we were trying to break some world record. And that's why, that's why you needed slightly more time to accomplish uh, okay. what you have to accomplish. We didn't beat the record then, so anyway. The, the, the altitude didn't help us. Oh, okay. Um, just for the listener's interest, what was that record you were trying to break? Uh, that was a big wave formation. Uh, we were supposed to build a formation from 222 people and rebuild it in the air twice, hopefully. Well, we ended up at trying at 164 people and we were not getting close. So at that time, it was not successful. But uh, the, the biggest formation today, uh, which has been built in, in the sky, is 400 people. It was in Thailand in 2006, I believe. And uh, this record still holds, still there. Wow. There were plans to, to break it and have 500 people in the air, but it's still planned, still a plan. And how many planes does that take? Well, yes, that's a good question, because that's where uh, skydiving sports, skydiving record disciplines, they hit the ceiling, the number of aircraft you need. Uh, in that particular case, 400 uh, skydivers, it was in Thailand, and king of Thailand uh, at that time, he was a big fan of skydiving himself. Okay. And he provided, I think, five C-130 Hercs, uh, transport military airplanes, right, okay. uh, which had all the skydivers, and then 400 got out and built the formation. So because each uh, C-130 can probably hold about 100, 100 plus uh, skydivers. 
then uh, the normal aircraft, the, the usual aircraft for skydiving drop zones is a Cessna Grand Caravan um, and similar aircraft that's about 20 uh, skydivers. I was uh, in a training camp in May and there was a formation of 100 people. It was just a training camp and we had five aircraft, five Cessna type aircraft which from which we jumped. But for big records, as of today, you need a fleet of aircraft. Usually right. it's 11, 12 Cessna size uh, aircraft uh, from which people jump. And that requires some training to get all that done in okay. sync. And that's, sure. that's the fun side of skydiving, the sporty uh, uh, side of skydiving, which people should have in mind when they try their first jump. So that you know that there is more than that, more than just first jump. It's an actual sport. And there are so many disciplines there, which you may try maybe one day. Absolutely. Well, after this conversation, I'm hopeful that you'll take... Well, you would take me down, show me the ropes down in Offaly. Uh, yeah, you can go tomorrow. No, you can go on <laughs> well, Saturday. Okay, <laughs> we, nice. jump, we jump every day, yeah, well, every weekday, weekend. And, and just actually, just out of that, like, so if you were looking to do a record, it's more of an equipment issue than a scale issue. So everybody you were jumping with, if you guys had had those planes, which... Just for the average person watching this or listening today, if we describe it as like it's a military plane, the back opens up and everybody runs out the back. Is that how they get uh, out? For that Thailand uh, that, that event, would, yes, yes, that's how it happens. Uh, for the current, because n not every drop zone, not a single drop zone can actually can afford have C-130s as their skydiving airplane. Okay. This happened only once in the history of skydiving when so many C-130s were available. Yeah. But uh, in the normal zone, drop zones, uh, skydiving clubs, they for the events like this, for the big records, they usually use a fleet of aircraft. Some drop zones own a fleet of uh, aircraft. Skydive Paris in California, they have, I think, 11 or 12 aircraft. And they're usually not of exactly the same type. Uh, for example, there may be a Skyvan, which actually was built in Belfast, uh, a small aircraft, 20 people, but that's a ramp door, so a door in the back, okay. which opens and yes, you run out. Uh, normal, simple uh, Cessna aircraft, they have a door in the back and in the side, on the, on, on the left side of an aircraft, so you jump sideways. Okay. So that's no matter nice. which aircraft you use, all these people either run and jump, running at the door, yeah. or run sideways. <laughs> yeah. And some of them maybe are hanging okay. outside in anticipation uh, of the jump. And then somehow, these people, the the well, these people <laughs> miraculously yeah. get together in a big okay. formation. And that's what you learn to do when you train as a skydiver. You learn to fly. And I want to emphasize that skydiving is not about just falling through the air. Skydiving is about flying. Wow. You are actually three-dimensionally flying. You can go forward and back and up and down and sideways in relation to other skydivers. Can, suppose, like, if you mentioned that there, I have heard, now this could be, you, you can clarify if this is true or not. If I was inexperienced, I could maybe get into a spin or something could go wrong because I'm not controlled in my movements to make sure that I'm kind of going through the jump correctly. Does that happen regularly or like what are the dangers involved in around skydiving? Like what's the biggest risks? All right, spins and related stuff. Uh, when you are trained, so we are past the tandem skydives. None of yeah. that will happen in your tandem skydive. Okay. When, when you, uh, tandem instructor will make sure that you're absolutely safe and none of that happens. But if yeah, you're so all just, alone... Sorry to cut across you, but just I suppose in relation to that, just for everybody listening then, from, from start to finish in, in relation to safety then, like the tandem piece is 
pretty safe. I mean, you're with trained people. There's not really much that can go wrong. Or is there any risks in that side of the jump? It's a discipline which is very mature by now. Skydiving, parachute, sport, parachute activity started at the beginning of the last century. Okay. And middle of last century, uh, that's when the civilian skydiving started. And actually, Irish Parachute Club in County Offaly is the oldest commercial drop zone in the world. Wow. This is where it kind of started, I would say. So which it's means 50 plus years, yeah. the commercial skydiving was developing and it developed into a mature and safe activity. But it's still a sport. And sometimes injuries happen in the sport. Sure. Uh, your tandem instructor is a professional skydiver with thousands of jumps using a mature and sophisticated to a point equipment which has been designed, redesigned, improved uh, through many years just to remove any possibility of unsafe mm. jump. So it is pretty safe, very safe. But if anything happens because it's a sport and things mm. can go wrong, then the instructor is trained to get out of that situation. And remember, you have two parachutes. Uh, any sport parachute, any tandem parachute has two parachutes. Okay. One main parachute and then a reserve parachute. If something goes wrong, you just disconnect the main and open the reserve. Okay. Well, and, and what would be the most common types of, you know, risks? Is it more so landing and somebody hurts their leg or is it malfunctions of the equipment? This may have, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sporty, in the recreational skydive, when you become a, a skydiver yourself, uh, there is the statistics uh, in US, uh, they keep a lot of data and it's mostly your own fault when you do right. something wrong. And yeah. yes, at landing, sometimes uh, you just go too fast and you don't do it right. Uh, these are the most common causes. So a pilot errors in a way because you're a pilot. Sure. But when you yeah. mentioned uh, in the first question, like when you spin, what happens? Yeah. When you train to be a skydiver, this is the task for your instructor to teach you to avoid getting into those situations. And at first, during the first jumps, when there are two instructors with you and we're holding you tight, and then we try to see if you're stable in the flight, if you're stable in the free fall, and we teach you in advance how to be stable, and then we release you and we see if you learned all your lessons properly. If not, we'll grab you again. We will actually open your parachute for you if something okay. goes wrong, and then we'll debrief you again, and then you'll train and train and train until you're safe to be released into the air all by yourself. We will not release you, we'll not give you a license unless you are safe. You can also can train uh, polish your skills on the ground. There are wind tunnels where you can practice free fall okay. and get better wow. until you're very stable and then you will not get into the spins. Well, if you get into a spin, there are ways to prevent that or counter that. And even if like the worst thing happens and you're still in the spin and you open the parachute and the lines are twisted, there are ways to untwist them. And again, okay. you're taught that, how to handle that during the ground school and training. And if something goes wrong completely with the first parachute, with the main parachute, as I said, disconnect the main, open the reserve. And you're trained how to do that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's very interesting. And look, it's coming across to me as, yeah, it's a, it's a bit like anything. I mean, you know, I don't know what the percentage stats are of car accidents, but I'm sure that 99% of them are caused by the pilot driving them. So it's a bit like if you're not careful and you're not properly trained then you know things might go wrong but generally it's pretty safe it is pretty safe yeah. yes so that's cool talk to me then a little bit of, i see you've brought some props here um i appreciate now some people are only going to be listening to the audio here so we have a helmet with some cameras looks very cool 
Uh, it looks a bit like what you'd imagine a motorbike guy would wear if you wanted to stop somebody from crashing into him. Yeah, that's my work helmet. I have several helmets. Okay. Uh, I have helmet for skydiving, I have helmet for work skydiving, and I have helmet for wind tunnel. But this is my helmet, which I use uh, when I uh, make videos and photos of tandem pairs or sports skydives. And I have two GoPro cameras attached uh, to the helmet, one on top and one at the chin area. And uh, usually when I do, well, in the past, people used many uh, proper Canon cameras, like big cameras on top. But now GoPros became better and better and better. And many people are switching to the GoPros. So I use one GoPro in a high resolution mode, okay. which will be my backup video, or I can do screenshots for photos. And the one on my chin is a, a normal resolution uh, GoPro mode. For the, for the regular videos. And job, the job of a camera flyer is to be a very good flyer so that you can pick an angle, pick a direction to the, the target and be there without even thinking. You should okay. be able to fly around, take, pick a location, fly around, another location, fly around the group or the skydiver or the tandem pair and take a picture from top. And then during that time of the jump, and for a tandem skydive, it may be 30, 40 seconds, you have to be here, here, there, there, and, and take the best shots you can. Oh, right. Okay, so you've got to travel across and everything like that. You've well, don't, you don't travel across over the right. people. Well, this is one well, around. Of the you have to travel around, around them. Around. But uh, yes, you, well, sometimes you just stay there and wait for the passenger to smile. Okay. And yeah. uh, usually before the jump, I make sure I tell the person that don't forget to smile when right. you see yeah. me. Just, <laughs> don't forget to smile. So it goes from ah to smile. They always smile, by the way. Oh, do they? Okay, yes, great. they well, always that's, do. <laughs> that's good to know. And then, so you mentioned this is your work helmet. So do you wear, do skydivers wear helmets now? Or I, I, don't, I don't picture them wearing helmets. Is, there, is that a requirement now? Is that everybody wears helmets? Uh, it's a recommendation. Um, skydiving is a self-regulated sport. And there are skydiving association federations which write the rules to which we have to adhere. And uh, the rules for the helmets as of today, as of today are strongly recommended uh, because you want to avoid being knocked out in case in a sporty skydive sure. when you're really active and you want to rebuild the formations quickly or you're competing with your team and you move fast, you don't want to hit your head and uh, lose conscience. In yeah. that case, by the way, you, will, you are still safe because you have a small computer inside your parachute which will open your parachute at 750 feet Oh, if wow. you do nothing. Okay. Yeah, but you still better have a helmet so you can enjoy the jump. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I mean, uh, I guess like I ski every year and you never used to see skiers wearing helmets now. Everybody just does it. It's just kind of been built into the kind of, you'd be better off if something goes wrong to have it on than not be wearing it, right? Some so. people still want to jump <laughs> right. without helmets. Right. That's their thing. Is it, is, is it more liberating though, the hair, the wind and the hair? And well, everything, you, know, right? you know, I wear eyeglasses and... Um, in my life, uh, I really wanted to start jumping in a helmet because jumping, uh, at first you jump with a so-called open face helmet when you don't have a visor. You don't okay. have this kind of motorbike type helmet. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, required so that instructors can see you, uh, your eyes, so that they can see that you react properly and so that you can see around you better. Uh, the field of view is wider and you have to do that at the beginning of your skydiving career. Eventually become more professional and then you can limit it and then enjoy the, the full face helmet. So for me, it's just 
was an important thing to have because with an open face helmet or without a helmet, it's too much wind, it's too much noise. It's pretty windy out there when you jump. It's 140 miles an hour. Imagine sticking out of your win uh, head out of your window at 140, oh, bicycle, motorbike. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of noisy and uh, it's yeah, annoying. <laughs> yes, yes, okay, that makes sense. So that's when uh, skydiving helmets, like motorbike looking helmets, they're really helpful. Okay, cool. And we have a parachute here with us, something I've never seen and I'm very interested to see it. Um, it looks doesn't look dissimilar to the backpack I carried my laptop in here today with. Um, which is cool. So obviously it's been a great... I mean, I'm sure the original parachutes were a bit more bulky, but this looks pretty pretty nifty. Yes. Uh, first of all, parachutes, as I mentioned, through this long history, while they were maturing, they went through stages. Okay. And starting with Leonardo da Vinci, a oh. long time ago, who first drew the first picture of a parachute. He didn't jump himself. He just thought about it. Uh, that was the initial design. Then whenever the balloons, uh, hot air balloons in France uh, started flying up uh, in 1700 plus years, uh, then they came up with the idea of using parachute as a just way to get back to Earth. And they threw a poor dog uh, in a parachute first, and the dog landed, all right. And this was just a so-called round parachute, just a, a big round thing which slows you down. And that was the design which was then used during the beginning of the parachute age, which was First World War, when some pilots in some countries during that conflict started using parachutes as a backup so that they can save themselves if something goes wrong. And since then, it went through stages. At first, it was a big, bulky parachute, uh, and size-wise, say, 800 uh, square uh, feet. Big, wow, bulky okay. thing. That's, by the way, how I started skydiving myself. I, I used the big, bulky round parachutes. And then you had the big reserve in front of you. Okay. And then things were improving, and then people came up with the idea that parachutes can be a different style. And the parachutes which we use now, they're not like a big, round things which slow you down. They're a big, slightly smaller, squarish thing which look like a wing of an airplane. Okay. They inflate and they take the shape, aerodynamic shape of a wing, and they carry you through the air sure. using this lift. And that's why they became smaller. Are they similar to a paragliding parachute? They're down, basically, yeah. yeah, they're similar design. Okay. Slightly different uh, layout, but similar design. But they became smaller for comparison. 800, 700 square feet versus 140 square feet. Oh, wow. Well, this is a sporty parachute. When you start, when you do a tandem jump, your tandem instructor parachute will be 340 uh, square feet. Okay. When you start learning to skydive, 260, 240. But since they became smaller, now you were able to move your backup parachute back into your main backpack, into the same backpack, into the same container. And that's how you have two parachutes in the small container now. At the bottom, you have your main parachute. At the top of your backpack, at the top of your container, you have reserve parachutes. And they both are here. Wow. Are they, they're both in the same compartment? Well, they have several compartments. Okay. They each sit in the small bag. And the way uh, you, you mentioned the, the string, the cord. Like I was pull just the cord, getting pull, pull that. Pull the yeah. Cord, yeah. So the, now the cord's gone. it's slightly different because, again, mature sport goes through different designs sure, yeah. and picks the designs which are safer, more reliable, easier to use, and there were a lot of different designs. So as of today, the design of today, which probably may change in the future anyway, is that at the very bottom of your, of your parachute, of your backpack, there is a small handle, and when you pull this handle out, 
you pull out a small, teeny, tiny parachute, actually, which means there are four parachutes here, but two of them are teeny, small, teeny, tiny parachutes, and you throw this parachute into the air, it catches air, and then it pulls uh, a rope, a string called bridle, which then pulls the pin, which then opens the compartment, and a bag with the main parachute is pulled out, air, it catches air, and it deploys, it okay. opens up. So that's how you open your parachute. No cords yet, but there is a cord later. Okay. There is, in case of malfunction, right. hypothetical, highly <laughs> unprovable, <Okay, yeah. laughs> almost never happens, right. malfunction, then there is a way to deal with that. First, okay. you use a so-called cutaway pad. It's a handle which is needed to release your main parachute. It's on your right side of your shoulder strap of your backpack. Yeah. You cut away your first parachute. Okay. And then you use the cord. That's the cord. Uh, use the the reserve cord okay. to open your reserve parachute because it opens a little bit differently because it's it's an emergency situation. Things have to happen quickly. And there is another small parachute, spring-loaded small parachute. When you pull your cord, it jumps out in the air very quickly because it's a spring-loaded now. Things have yeah. to go really fast now. And then again, it pulls out your reserve parachute from the top of your container. And then you just fly home. You land, you have your cup of tea, and you... And <laughs> you at home. Okay, very nice. And, like, how do you cut it away? Do you have a little knife in your side pocket? Or? No, again, it went through stages. It went through several designs. Uh, you have to cut it away fast and clean. And, yes, you have a hook knife. You have a knife with you. Uh in case you really have to cut something away. But for the normal cutaway procedure, when you pull the cutaway cord, there are two cables which release a simple mechanism which immediately disconnects your main parachute. And uh, whoever wants to see how it works, you can come to our parachute club and we'll show you how it okay, works. Okay, well, I'm, I might be your next guest. I'm very interested in this. And I think... I'd be amiss if I didn't. I forgot to ask you when we were talking about the jumping out of planes. How long? Say you jump from 30,000 feet. How long are you in the air? 13,000 feet. Uh, about uh, for the tandem skydive because you open. Yeah, uh, so would that be the standard or like for, what would be the. Yeah, 10, 13,000 feet. Uh, the skydiving club, the drop zone in the north, uh, they have slightly different airplane. They go to 15,000 feet. Uh, tandem parachutes, tandem skydives, because it's all about safety, 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 safety plus, you open a bit higher than professional skydivers, so you have more time to enjoy the view and just in case something goes slightly wrong, deal with that. So you will open your parachute at about 6,000 feet. So between 13,000 feet and 6,000 feet, that's about 30 seconds. Wow. If you jump from 10,000, slightly less, 15,000, okay. slightly more. So you have 13, 30 seconds to get it, to enjoy the view. Right. And then you have several minutes when parachute opens, you're now under full canopy and it, several minutes you'll be going down. And your tandem instructor could even give you control toggles okay, to try it cool. out, go left and right and how it feels to actually fly the wing, fly the parachute. Okay, so it's several cool. minutes altogether. Okay, and you, you circle around then in your descent. Is that kind of what you do? Well, the, the tandem instructor will pick the best 
way to okay, your drop zone, right. <laughs> the most safe way. But uh, okay. they will do several turns, they will do several circles. Okay. Well, it, uh, to be honest, I did the tandem jump as a passenger only once in my life. I, I started oh, learning okay. to skydive already with a proper bulky big parachute. And then sometimes uh, tandem instructors need a refresher course, renewal course, because they, they have to comply with the strict regulations. And when they step away from the sport and they come back several years later, they have to go through training and then they have to jump with a fake passenger and that's why they, they need skydiving uh, skydivers to be their fake passengers just to show that everything is fine and i remember it was pretty wild i would say uh, it was really exciting because uh, well he knew that i was a professional skydiver that's why probably he went uh, a bit into a more exciting area right. but he was doing turns and spirals and uh, it was very exciting okay. you could feel the force you can feel the g-force you can feel the speed you can feel the air and this is one of the reasons i include skydiving in my menu of adventures because it's different it it trains you to a enjoy the view you'll see earth in its splendor it's beautiful from above even in county offley even uh, offley yes okay we heard uh, there first and uh <laughs> it also gives a glimpse of uh space travel in a way that it's stressful at first uh beforehand sure, especially yeah. and you learn to overcome your fears and you learn to behave in the stressful environment and uh, that's why it's enjoyable especially afterwards usually People are stressed before because your brain is concerned. Yeah, your sure. brain doesn't know what's going on. You are stressed on the day. You are stressed, slightly stressed on the way up. You are slightly more stressed when the door opens. But the moment you're out, you, your brain gives up. Your brain right. says, oh, yeah, I, I, was, I was trying. I was yeah. trying to stop him or her. I give up. And then your fear is gone. Usually the fear is gone and you see... The earth from above, and almost everyone enjoys the drop. And, and I can uh, attest to that because every time, I as I told you, I show up in front of the passenger, they're already <laughs> smiling. They're already smiling in the free fall. Okay. Well, I'm going to be your first passenger that wasn't smiling. No, I'm really joking. Uh, I will no. definitely smile. It sounds, you know, you've, you've put me really at ease throughout this conversation. It's great. Uh, I really didn't know much about skydiving at all other than I wanted to do it. And uh, I feel like this is definitely something I'm going to do very soon now after your your insights, so thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Today we talked about skydiving and wind tunnels as part of the space-like and space-related activities. You will find this episode at several platforms and on our channel at YouTube.